I just literally just put work in front of family because it was something that I, I wanted to achieve. I was, you know, when I, especially when I was very young, you know, I was just early 20s and I didn't have my priorities in order, I guess. You know, I, I was very much focused upon financial freedom and intellectual pursuits to a fault almost, you know, and I had to learn the balance. Uh, and so getting that work life balance in, in order was instrumental for me. It really is one of the most important things. Everyone listening to this right now, you know, can probably identify with that. They're wanting to break free. They're wanting to achieve something that they have, but balancing work and life can be extremely challenging, especially whenever you're in that, in the thick of it, you got your nose to the grindstone and you're doing everything you can, you're trying to speed it up. People can get hurt. You know, people can be disenfranchised. Relationships can be damaged and nothing is worth that. Not even financial freedom. It's not worth it. Break free from modern day slavery. Live the freedom trinity of financial freedom, time freedom, and location freedom. Live in true fulfillment with a foundation of growth and balance in health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun doing what you love most. Let us show you the way. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robinson. And today, my friends, we have Mr. Jerry Robinson in the house, who is an economist, trader, author, and coach. We're going to talk about the state of the economy, crypto, stock market, precious metals. And I'm sure we'll jump down a few rabbit holes there. Jerry, welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, brother. It's a great honor to be here. Thank you so much, Bryce. Looking forward to it. So, Jerry, the place I always love to start, mate, is what's giving you the most gratitude today, brother? You know what? My uh, family. Sadly, Bryce, when I think back about my own uh, pursuit of happiness, so to speak, I didn't always value family the way that I do now. And sadly, whenever you're um, pursuing financial freedom, sometimes you can let things slip. Sometimes you can put that ahead of other things. And I learned that early. Thank goodness. I learned that early. And so I am grateful for family and friends. I'm grateful for, you know, love and, and friendship. And I'm so grateful that I learned my lessons early in life, that that's the most important thing above all, you know, even, even above the, of course, the pursuit of financial freedom, of course, but uh, you know, I guess we don't come out of the womb knowing that we have to learn that. So I learned I it and I'm, and I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> I think that's often, and you know, not spoken about enough too. And so like, do you mind sharing like what changes you made in your life to like make that more of a priority? I just literally just put work in front of family because it was something that I, I wanted to achieve. I was, you know, when I, especially when I was very young, you know, I was just early twenties and I didn't have my priorities in order, I guess, you know, I, I was very much focused upon financial freedom and intellectual pursuits to a fault almost, you know, and I had to learn the balance. Uh, and so getting that work life balance in, in order was instrumental for me. It really is one of the most important things. Everyone listening to this right now, you know, can probably identify with that. They're wanting to break free. They're wanting to achieve something that they have, but balancing work and life can be extremely challenging, especially whenever you're in that, in the thick of it, you got your nose to the grindstone and you're doing everything you can. You're trying to speed it up. People can get hurt. You know, people can be disenfranchised. Relationships can be damaged and, and nothing is worth that. Not even financial freedom. It's not worth it. It's my little piece. Great question. Money can solve a lot of problems. It totally can, but you know, money can't solve intimacy. You know, intimacy is actually something that we need to put time and effort into. And uh, you know, this topic of like work-life balance, I literally just had a conversation about this um, probably about half an hour ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a huge thing that I don't Very think big. like many people. Uh, it's, so here's the thing: like, I don't think that the that we're in a place where like, hey man, I'm perfectly balanced and that's sustainable. We're kind of like always working on it, right? 
Um, we're always like, you know, got to put a bit of energy over here, lagging in one area or the other. Um, so that's a, it's a super important thing that I think is always evolving. So let's dial back to clock, Jerry. Let's go back to childhood, mate. What was your childhood like and how did that influence what you're doing today? Uh, my childhood uh, was interesting. Whenever I was a kid, I knew I had an affinity for math. Um, I was very good at school and at math and I really liked numbers. And I remember watching the St. Louis Cardinals, my favorite baseball team. And I was, I lived in Missouri at the time. And uh, I remember just watching their statistics like RBIs and home runs and batting averages and all of these things. I don't, I, I was so geeky with that. And I kept track of them and watched every game and created charts. Out of it. Well, anyway, eventually my mother went to get her series seven. She, she decided to become a stockbroker a little later in life. And she was studying for it and I was helping her and she, she would ask me to help maybe ask her questions. And so I began And for those who are not familiar, a series seven is a test you take to become a stockbroker. It's a series seven test. And it's a, a, a license that, that stockbrokers have here in the United States. Well, uh, so in the, in the course of helping her study for that test, uh, I found myself really interested in the topic, strangely enough. And so it kind of matched. And so well, by the time I got to college, I uh, really wanted to learn more about finance and economics. I finally s settled for economics. Uh, the guidance counselor at the university, Bryce, I had asked the question. I said, I don't know. I'm struggling, you know, economics or finance. What do I do? You know, and the, the very wise guidance counselor said, well, she said, the guys with the finance degrees are in the back crunching numbers. And she said, the the economists are the ones ruling the world. <laughs> and I said, well, sign me up for the economics. So, so I, we, we did economics and quite frankly, uh, you know, economics was a very good thing for me to study. Sadly, at the university level, you don't tend to learn the things that you need to know. So I had to do a lot of outside research, a lot of self-study, but that was a really powerful thing. So I, I you know, I was kind of a, a math guy early had bad math teachers for a while. So I kind of got knocked off that. But when my mom went to study for the series seven, it kind of reignited it was really interested in Wall Street finances, you know, money, how it all worked. And then finally went to school to get an economics degree. And, and uh, there I guess the rest is history. So I think economics and macro is super important. And from what I see, because I'm an investor myself, I syndicate deals, I've got an investment group, and I see a lot of other people, and I operate deals as well. I see a lot of other people out there who are crushing it. They're really good at acquiring assets. They're even good at managing assets. But I believe they don't actually have the foundational understanding of the general environment that they're in and the things that be, could be coming around the corner here. And I know that you have created a, a profit tracker and trend trading system, and your systems have actually indicated the following. And I'm just going to pull out some highlights here. The stock market crashed in 2008, but you had a long-term sell signal issued in December 2007. A buy signal for U.S. stocks in 2009, a long-term buy signal issued in the summer of 2009, a long-term buy signal on Bitcoin in 2013. This is when the price of Bitcoin was 250 bucks. Um, the buy signal issued on Ripple in 2013, when Ripple was priced at less than half a cent uh, each. Uh, the historic U.S. dollar bull market beginning in July 14, a major position uptrend alert on July 1, a China's stock market rally in 2014, a major buy signal issued on gold, silver and mining stocks on February 1st, 2016, a long-term buy signal issued on European stocks in December 2016, and December 1, uh, 2017, a buy signal issued on Tron cryptocurrencies at 0.2 cents. Now, I know that you uh, also wrote a book, uh, Bankruptcy of Our Nation, which is really an inside look at America's debt-based uh, economic system. So why was it so important for you to, to write a book on this topic? And what is it that us, the general public, don't currently know that we need to know most? Wow. Um, okay, so kind of kind of separating those two things. First of all, the the profit tracker trend trading software. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, that is something I developed many years ago, uh, and it's connected to why I wrote the book. In fact, 
but but that software, um, we in fact, the latest call we had was at the beginning of 2022 Q1, our system called a new long term downtrend in stocks. Of course, it was, you know, it's been pretty brutal this year uh, in US stocks. And so that's something that's ongoing. Our members have access to that. They can type in any ETF, any stock, any cryptocurrency, any, you know, commodity, currency, whatever, uh, any, any uh, global stock, any country. They can type it in and they can see what's the current trend. And when it changes, they're alerted. And so it's a really useful system for those who like to trade or invest in any of those assets. So it's very for helpful. everybody listening right now, we're actually going to have a link to that in the show notes too, when they're going to go to followthemoney.com so they can actually get their hands on this too. Yeah, it's it's very, very powerful. And now, now as far as the book goes, the book I began writing in 2006, 2007. Um, and it, the book was really about what I had learned, what I really had not learned, quite frankly, in school. Um, and in fact, I bounced it off many people ahead of time who kind of were advising me. And many of them had said, look, this information is just it needs to be out there. People don't understand how all, all of this works. And you can even know, you brought up economics earlier. This book is really all about the underbelly, the ugly part of economics, if you will, especially the macro side. And you'll see that there really has been those who have focused upon economics, many times have focused on microeconomics because they were told it was important. It is to a certain extent, of course, but the macro side was really missing this year. For example, many people didn't even know really what inflation is. They still don't know what inflation is. Uh, many of them are, are suffering to understand some of the basic things that are happening this year. And it's because of this, this lack of education that we have when it comes to economics. And that's really what the book was about. It was explaining what is money really? One of the chapters is called What is Money? Um, many people don't even really know what money is. I mean, in, in the United States. Uh, what is fractional reserve banking? What is the fiat uh, fiat currency system? What is fiat and how is it different from commodity money and on and on? Well, what's so funny is, Bryce, is at the very moment that I was, I, we kind of figured this out later, but at the very moment that I was putting this book together, trying to educate people about what was happening and, and telling them that, you know, there was going to be an economic crash, of course, and there was, at the very same time I was doing all that, I had a passion for it. And I was really trying to help people. I was being invited to speak everywhere. I was speaking. Anybody would let me trying to educate them on this stuff. At that very same time, the very same year, uh, there was a guy by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. That's his mm -hmm. name. And he was doing something else too. You know, he, he saw the same things that I saw, but he was saying, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a cryptocurrency. I'm going to make, uh, you know, something that can actually, uh, serve as a as as a way to uh, provide some sort of like an ark or a safety, you know, some sort of boat to, to that'll ride the waves uh, in the middle of a flood or something. And so, uh, so fortunately, I I discovered Bitcoin very early. I was turned on to it in 2012, and I'm so grateful that I learned about cryptocurrency early. I bought Bitcoin in 2012. I bought Ripple, and Ripple was the second cryptocurrency I bought. Um, and you couldn't even, it was a very strange thing back. It's a whole nother topic, but you couldn't even really buy Ripple at the time when I bought it. It was very weird. I had to, I had to go find Ripple and then have to go. It was weird. Well, the point is, is that it was very, very early. Um, and, and the book is really my, my, my best effort at helping people understand what I learned um, in my own deep dive into the system. And sadly, Many of the things in the book have come to fruition, and we've all seen we've all seen how ugly economics can really be. We can see how how bad uh, things can really get. And uh, so that was really the purpose of the book. It was to educate people. But I did find it interesting that uh, you know there were other people during that same time who were just taking different tacks. I was writing a book. Somebody else was creating Bitcoin. We were all pointing at the same thing. Yeah, mate. And I would say if you guys, anybody listening to this is not up to pace, whether you're looking to be an investor or not, if you're looking to create freedom in your life in any capacity, um, you want to read this book, you want to get up to pace on fractional reserve lending and quantitative easing and all of these things on how our system actually works. Because most people, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, don't even understand how our financial system even works at all. They don't even understand the game that they're playing or the consequences. And um, yeah, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? 
You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it, it's a st- it's a stunning lack of education, and it's it's largely due to the public education system that really just doesn't teach people even how to balance a checkbook. I mean, they they teach you lots of things, but they just don't teach you a lot of practical things that you need to know. And and I think the book really helps get people up to speed. One of the best testimonies I ever received was from a person who had who had gotten their MBA, Masters of Business Administration. And they read through the book and their review was, I never learned any of this in school, but it's all true, you know? And so even people who have high educations, uh, they, they many times aren't exposed. They aren't, they're not exposed to this. Now, what I can say is that since I wrote the book and the book was written originally in 2008, it was released in 2009. It was then republished and revised and everything uh, several years later, and that's what's mm-hmm. available now. Um, but uh, I have seen, I think with the advent of cryptocurrency, the idea of fiat money, a fiat currency, the idea of fractional reserve banking has become more, people have become more aware of it. And crypto has helped people to become aware of it uh, because it's a competing currency, uh, which therefore they need to build the case against the other currency. And so that's, that's really what's happened. But no, you're absolutely right. There's a great stunning lack of education in this area. And and books like mine, Bankruptcy of Our Nation, even being used in schools. I mean, it's used, being used in, in uh, high schools. It's even being used in colleges. And I think it's great. If you have kids even uh, who you want to help them understand this, this book is written in a way that even a, you know, a high schooler, if they sat there and read carefully, they would be able to understand what's being said. So we've had a lot of people tell us that their kids have also greatly benefited from the book. So for people who aren't up to pace with what's going on, what is the state of our economy? And what are the major things that we really need to know right now, um, especially what could potentially be coming around the corner? Well, we're just very, very heavily leveraged. um, And that's really the problem is that we have adopted a debt-based monetary system in the wake of the 1971 decision to go off of the gold standard, Bretton Woods, uh, the the, the uh, Bretton Woods system was ended. And since that time, since the 70s, we've moved into this system that is really uh, an artificial system. It's an uncharted territories that we're what we're in now. And now we can see the problems is that even lately here in 2022, we are de- and not to date this interview too much, you know, of course, we want people to be able to enjoy this for years. But, but if you're thinking about what's happening right here in 2022, well, you're dealing uh, with very poor uh, monetary policy and very poor fiscal policies. So monetary policy is conducted by the Federal Reserve, that's the central bank. They're the ones who uh, mess with the levers of interest rates and reserve requirements and things like this. And then you also have the fiscal policymakers. Uh, that would be, you know, the Congress. That would be the Senate. That would be the, uh, and of course, even the executive branch, where they they sign off on spending deals on this or that, and they try to encourage this or taxation policies. That's also the power. So ultimately, uh, both the monetary policymakers and the fiscal policymakers are trying to quote unquote grow the economy. They're trying to create and stoke growth. The problem, I think, if we had to sum it up very quickly, is that we live in a generation that believes that the present, right now, the present, must be the minimum. Now, what I mean by that is that if you work somewhere, you expect your income to go up. You expect a raise. Uh, If you are uh, a landlord, you expect to be able to raise your rent uh, if you are a, uh, if you have a 401k, you expect those stocks to go higher, right? Uh, if you, uh, it, it really just think of anything that you can imagine. If you're a social security recipient, you expect those that, that amount to go up. We live in this time where the present has to be the minimum. And right now in 2022, we've seen that the minimum has dropped on all of us, right? So the stock market has gone down. The 401ks have gone down in value. The housing prices in some areas are going down and, uh, and so people are, they scratch their heads and say, no, wait, this is not supposed to work this way. Everything's supposed to go up, 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 up. Well, when you go back in history and you say, well, is that a normal way of looking at things? Is that how people normally look at things? And you'll discover, no, that's not, 
It's not in any way, shape or form how most people viewed life. You know, in fact, uh, typically you would have, you know, you would have booms and busts, but typically you would have more stability in terms of the economy. It may even be stagnant, but it wouldn't, the present wouldn't always be the minimum. And, and that's really the system that we've engineered, the system that we've created. Even though it sounds good, even though it's like, well, that's how it works. And 10 years from now, I should be able to earn more money and I should, well, that's actually a problem. Uh, the reason why you're getting a raise every year or not getting a raise, or the reason why your stocks are going up, the reason why everything's going up is because we live in a world where the money supply is getting larger and larger and larger and larger. And therefore, everything's becoming diluted. And so the price has to rise to reflect the amount of money in the system. Um, that's not healthy long term. And it's it kind of makes a mockery of the whole monetary system in the short term. So this is why you do see uh, people turning to other types of assets. That's why you see alternative assets are popular. People say, well, gold or silver, or they say, well, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or Ethereum, or, or they look at real estate and say, well, you've got to get out of the stock market. You know, people are looking for things that are real, that are, that are tangible, or that represent some sort of uh, competition to the reigning system, to the, to the uh, supremacy of the system. And so uh, alternative assets have become very popular for that reason. Uh, just as they did back in the 1970s, when people began to fully become aware uh, or began to become aware of what was happening as they had been untethered uh, from the gold system. So um, you know, we do have a big problem. And it, and it ultimately leads down to the fact that your currency itself is debt. This is a heartbreaking story, but it's just a true statement that if you pull out a dollar bill and you just take a look at it, uh, you look at the top and it says, you know, in the case of United States dollar, it says Federal Reserve note. Uh, if I say you have a car note, you would say, well, you know, you have a car loan. Everybody knows what that means. Well, if I say you have a Federal Reserve note, what do you have? You have a Federal Reserve loan. This money is loaned by the Federal Reserve and they get interest on the debt or on the on the currency. So the currency itself is a piece of debt. Um, you have a debt based monetary system. Um, this this is a problem. And, and while it seemed for years that we would say that, and people didn't fully understand, I think in times like 2022, people are like, Oh, I see. Yeah, this is problematic. You know, I see there is a problem. So when things are all humming along, and everything seems okay, people are like, well, it seems okay. It's, it's fine to have debt as money, or money is debt. But then whenever you run into the problem, people want to know what the issue is. And, and here it is again, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible situation. Uh, it's a it's a novel situation. There aren't a lot of episodes throughout history where we've been this untethered from reality. And the problem is, is that you tend to, you know, move back to the mean. Um, you tend to revert back to the mean. And so I don't want to make any predictions on what I suspect is going to happen because, you know, my crystal ball is broken. We could defy we could defy reality for longer than we may realize. There's an old uh, quote that says the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. And it is true that we do have some pretty irrational markets. And we don't know how long, you know, they're going to remain intact the way they are now as we see them today. But I would suggest that most people feel and know in their gut that something's very wrong with the system. They're not wrong about that. They're very right about that. It's just a matter of how we're going to resolve it. I don't know how it's all going to be resolved, uh, but it is important for people to take action. And that's really what the book is about. First half is all the problems, you know, but the problems are just, you can't do anything with the problems. You got to have a solution. So uh, the last half of the book is all about solutions. Once you know the right problem, well, then you can figure out what the solution is. And I'm going to drop in a disclaimer right now. Neither Jerry or I are financial advisors, CPAs, attorneys. We're not giving any financial advice here. We're just having a no, conversation, sir. talking about some things we're doing. This is totally uh, for educational purposes only. Um, make sure to consult with your own CPAs, attorneys, advisors for your own specific financial needs and circumstances because nobody is created equal. Only they can advise you on what you need to do. So having that said, this debt that you're talking about, that obviously a debt needs to be paid back. Who's 
going to be responsible for that? Is it the government? Is it the Federal Reserve? Or is that going to be pushed on the general public? Yeah, the, the general public is is the one who is on the hook here. Um, and, you know, whether they know this or not, and the way and, and the way that we suspect that it's going to play out is not, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, money grab at the point of a gun, you know, they're, they're not going to come out and confiscate all your all your goods. Um, that's not really how the government's at least how the United States government has tended to do it. Even back in the 1930s, whenever you, you may have heard that it was illegal to own gold for a period of time in the 1930s. Well, if you go back and study that period, you'll find that nobody was ever even fined, let alone sent to jail for owning gold during that time period. So the government is pretty careful on how it handles things. It, it can actually handle this situation in a way that's pretty stealth. And the way they'll do it, of course, is through inflation, which they're doing now. But then they can also uh, address the situation through higher taxes. And that is probably the biggest problem that most people don't see coming, Bryce. Uh, I really appreciate you bringing up the fact that we're not financial advisors. There's so many people today on YouTube and Facebook and everything acting like experts and leading people down a, a wrong path. And so it's very important for you to have a trust, you know, trusted financial advisor that you can talk to who knows your specific financial situation. That being said, as you had pointed out, the way that I see uh, things going forward is that many times people have stuffed money into 401ks. They've stuffed, they've, they've listened to somebody and they say, well, you know, max out your 401k and stuff it full of money and uh, stuff your money full into a traditional IRA or, or put it into your own residential house, you know, your own residence. Well, the problem with those two assets, let's say the 401k IRA, and then also the, the residential home, your own residence. The problem with those is that they're government controlled. Now, what I mean by that is that the property taxes that you pay on your house never go away, no matter no matter what, how much you pay off the house and you get rid of the mortgage. If you live out in Florida or California, for example, you're going to find out that you know you pay off the mortgage, you're not you're not done. You know, you still got an annual property you know tax fee that is very very expensive, and that that number can go up every year, uh, and for many people it does. So in that way. You know, that even though I, I really like real estate, when it comes to your own personal residence, that becomes really a liability. Then you also have your IRA or 401k. These, if they're not Roth version, if they're just the traditional 401k, well, what, you, what you're doing when you put money into these things is you're putting money into them and you don't have the key to the box. It's like putting money into a black box and giving the key and the box to the government. And saying, just give this back to me, you know, when I turn 65. Well, if you're if you're 30 years away from retirement and the government is sitting on the kind of debt that it has now and it has no plan to solve it, your 401k is going to be they're they're salivating over the amounts of money that are in these traditional IRAs and 401ks. So what they can do is they can actually slap a distribution tax on your 401k or your IRA. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, this is why we often teach people just, this is just a small little tip. I mean, there's so many little things you need to know, but like a little small little tip here is like the Roth IRA or the Roth 401k that pays the tax beast now. And so since we see this massive government spending where we have trillion dollar deficits every year now, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And there doesn't seem to be much in the way of financial stewardship that's wise in Washington. Well, 20, 30 years from now, if you're planning on retiring, you don't want to be retiring with a traditional 401k because that's where a lot of the money is going to be and the government's going to be starved. The beast is going to be very, very, very hungry. So we personally, we like to pay the taxes now at what we perceive to be lower tax rates. Many people say, well, how can this be the, how can the modern you know, era have low tax rates? Well, historically speaking, the top marginal tax rate was like 90 some odd percent back in the 1950s. I mean, it's down to 37% now. So historically speaking, we're actually in a lower, believe it or not, in a lower tax environment than we have been in the past. And where I certainly think we're going to be say 10, 20, 30 years from now. So, you know, 
the key here is, is to think in terms of how sustainable is the current system and how exposed am I to its unsustainability? There are companies, Bryce, that will outlast the United States government. I don't want to name out any particular companies, uh, stocks on the air, but people can think of brand names that they know of companies that, you know, the government could go, you know, bankrupt, belly up, and this company is going to be fine. Be, you know, it, so in other words, many companies that are out there are going to outlast the United States government. So, you know, and that's, a, that's literally just a thing. I mean, that's just how it is. Um, because they don't have the debt loads, they don't have the, the problems, they don't have the, the uh, uh, promissory notes, they don't have all these issues that governments face. And, and so bankruptcy of our nation, the book, is about how the, the breakdown of the government is going to impact you, not necessarily the breakdown of the stock market. I mean, the stock market's going to go up and down, up and down, we know that. Uh, real estate's going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, we know that other asset classes, they just kind of, you know, they go up and down. But the government, which we all rely upon in many ways, some more than others. If that breaks down, well, you're talking about a major problem, you know? So we're teaching people, I think in this book and in our, through our website to take action, to be prepared and to think forward about what, how these things may actually turn out. And it ends up that the solution uh, to all of these problems is found in diversification, and not just diversification of investments, uh, but also diversification of your liquid savings and diversification, perhaps most importantly, of your income sources. So diversification of income, diversification of investments, diversification of savings, diversification really becomes a powerful strategy to help you remain nimble in a time when there's so much chaos, you know? So we're gonna talk about that in a minute here and we're actually gonna break into a few different asset classes and get your two cents on um, what's got you excited over the next 12 months in those asset classes. But before we do, um, just to really wrap our head around the context of what we've got going on here, what concerns you the most about the next 12 months? Um, what concerns me the most about the next 12 months, um, I would say that we could point to many things. There could be all kinds of things that break, obviously, typically, whenever you end up in a bear market, like we are now clearly, in the stock market, for example, uh, you tend to have a lot of consolidation that goes on, right? A lot of companies, you know, either go out of business, or they get bought out, they just can't handle it. Um, a lot of times, the things that when, when the tide goes out, that's whenever you see who's not wearing clothes. You know, I think that's a uh, Buffettism or something like that mm -hmm. when the tide goes out. And so I think that's really what, I, what I'm pointing to. The tide is, is going out and there's going to be shoes that drop. Now, my greatest concern would be for the individual who doesn't understand the cycles. Uh, the individual who has worked hard and done right, he's, you know, he's saved money. He's put money into stocks. He's got some real estate. You know, he's, he's bought some cryptos. You know, he's, he's tried to diversify himself. He's worked hard. And then he sees the current present state of chaos. And he assumes that that's always how it's going to be. And then he makes decisions based upon that, that harm him 10, 20, 30 years down the road. So, so my, my greatest concern is not for, you know, the government or the country or whatever, you know, what this or that, or the banking system, I mean, all these things are, you know, they're cracked. My, my concern is for the individual who uh, may make, who, who may, who may make a very long-term decision based upon short-term circumstances. Uh, this happens all the time. Um, this happens every time we enter into a bear market, for example, many people will sell right about the bottom, they'll sell right about the bottom. It's just whenever it's just whenever you just can't take any more of it. And it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to go back up that people start to unload and they sell at the very bottom. 
and then of course the fed changes its story and everything goes back up i mean i've i've seen this so many times um and so i, I would say to those who are listening the best thing that you can do in this current environment or in this scary environment is to stick to your plan and to not allow the noise the fear all of the anxiety that's around us to cause you or to deter you from what you know is the right thing to do. So continuing to build up those assets, diversifying those assets, being wise, not being over leveraged in any one area, not saying I'm going to go all in into this one asset class, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go all in into Dogecoin, you know, which many people did, you know, crazy, or I'm, I'm going to go all into, you know, this particular asset class. Well, that's not the proper way forward, especially with a broke government, because the broke government will change the rules of the game. And if you're not nimble, and if you're all in on one thing, and they change the rules of the game on that one thing, well, then you're the one who's going to take it in the nose. So again, I can't stress the importance of diversification across various asset classes, not being overweighted in any one area. And I, I think this is how to best be prepared. Again, what my, my biggest concern over the next 12 months is that people who have worked hard are going to allow the short-term issues um, to, to, to change their long-term strategy. And I think that would be a, that would be a mistake. So let's switch the energy here and talk about some of the solutions, um, what's got you excited over the next 12 months in the near future in a bunch of different asset classes and how you're handling things. And I'm going to set it up with the preface again and the disclaimer that Jerry's not giving any financial advice here. Jerry's just telling you what, how he's going to do things and how he's going to handle things for himself and his own specific needs and situation. Um, it's up to all of you guys to consult with your own financial advisor, CPA, to get recommendations on your own financial circumstances. But um, what's got you most excited and what are you doing to uniquely position yourself over the next 12 months in the stock market? Um, as over the next 12 months, you know, the, the, um, the NBER is this geeky um, uh, economic outfit, uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research. They're the ones who actually put out and they make the call on the recession. When is the recession? Well, we had a two-month recession back in 2020, according to the NBER. They let us know this. We, in fact, with the last time they communicated to us was in July of 2021. They said the, the uh, recession began in February of 2020, and it ended in April of 2020. Two months, shortest. In fact, part of the reason why we're having the problem we're having in 2022 with asset prices uh, is because of how short that recession was, because we threw everything at it. It was a Herculean type of response. Now, right now, people are concerned. Are we in a recession, they say, or are we? have we been in a recession already or is one coming later? Nobody really seems to agree on this. Well, it really doesn't matter what any of us say because the NBER is the one who officially makes those calls as they've been doing, you know, they have on their website all the way back to 1857. They call the peak, they call the trough. So they're the ones. Well, it's always surprising to hear what their, what their uh, answer is to the recession of when it began and when it ended. So we'll, we'll find all that out later. Um, but when, when, uh, the investing community understands a little more, and I would say we're probably just a few more months, uh, towards clarity in this, there's going to be a reversal in investment sentiment. People are beginning to get to that place, Bryce, where they know things have really gotten cheap. I mean, I'm looking at some stocks right now, some very high quality companies, again, companies that I think will outlast the United States government. Like I've said, these companies have gotten down to multiples that we haven't seen in a long time. Technically speaking, many of them are down in places that we haven't seen in a long, long time. And so from a long-term perspective, I'm very excited about adding some of those kind of world-class companies to my portfolio at such an opportune price. I also am very excited about the future of cryptocurrency. Uh, I've been, as I, as I mentioned, I'm not some Johnny come lately here. I, I began investing in 2012. It's been about a decade now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been, I've been very excited about the space for 10 years, but I am more bullish now 
reason being is that in the middle of this big collapse we've had in asset prices, you have not seen um, the financial institutions shy away from cryptocurrency. It's been the exact opposite. They've been aggressively adopting it, understanding that it's here to stay. Um, and so you've seen BlackRock, for example, make a huge splash and move into cryptocurrency. You've seen Fidelity. You've seen all of these. And they're pushing harder into the space that they're not shying away from it. This suggests to me that when whenever we get on the backside of this current economic situation, there's probably going to be a flood of money that flows into some of these leading cryptocurrencies. And of course, the stock market, those high quality companies that have been beat down and the perception is that they're very cheap. We're going to see a rip-roaring rally um, in some of these assets. I'm excited to be able to acquire these assets now amidst the fear. Uh, and the way I do it is I dollar cost average on a weekly basis. I was doing monthly for a long time. I would just dollar cost average every month into Bitcoin or you know, into some of my favorite stocks. But I've, moved, I've been moving that to weekly. I moved that to weekly, I think, last year when it came to Bitcoin. And then I moved it to weekly now on stocks because we've gotten to this place where so many of the prices are beat down where you, uh, between a month, you know, if you wait a month, you know, you, you may miss out on a really op good opportunity. So I like to do every week now. So I just dollar cost average in and that's how I'm approaching it. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about real estate prices coming back down <laughs> because, because uh, I was, I actually moved to the, to the area that I'm in Bryce, uh, like you, you know, I like real estate a lot and uh, I moved to the area that I moved to largely because of the real estate environment uh, and the prices and the location and all of that. So we saw prices just go sky high in 2020 and uh, 2021, especially. And I just had to sit out. I mean, I'm sitting and plus interest rates are high too. So I'm eager to get back in the game, but I'm sitting out right now, sitting on my hands, sitting on cash because I still see elevated prices um, I still see sellers who are a little too, you know, enthused about their property to be willing to deal. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to a place where sellers are more accommodative and picking up some more properties in this environment. It's become very clear that real estate is a, is a long-term winner in this environment. People have seen it happen for a long time, many decades. So uh, I'm looking forward to being able to buy more real estate but I'm also very excited about being able to buy very well-priced, in my opinion, uh, companies and even cryptos for the next rally higher. And believe it or not, the Fed will shift. We've seen it over and over again. The Fed right now is in hawk mode and we see what happens to asset prices. Guess what the next move is? They turn dovish and then you have another rally. Then they turn hawkish and then you have another dump. Then you have, then they turn dovish and it goes back. So anybody who doesn't understand this now, it now's the time to understand it goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. So unloading some of your profits on in the good moments and then loading up on high quality assets in the bad moments is, and then rinse and repeat. That's how the whole thing works. You know, if you're going to be in stocks, if you're going to be in cryptos, that's how it works. Yeah, we're, we're super bullish in the real estate sector. Obviously, we've got a heavy placement with uh, mobile home parks and self-storage. It's actually our bread and butter. We're also mm -hmm. heavily involved with Bitcoin, specifically in the crypto space. Um, we've got a lot of Bitcoin mining machines out there in operations, and uh, we're bringing some Bitcoin teller machines to the table here soon too. So uh, yeah, interesting to hear your perspective there. You mentioned quickly liquidity. Um, for some people out there who may not like fully understand liquidity and how to use it, you see, you mentioned like having some cash on the sidelines being ready. I know a lot of people talk about, well, I want to keep my money in the bank right now, because if you do true adjusted inflation, we're probably like losing like 18, 20% a year right now. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's different risks in holding liquidity in different places. Um, what different places can we hold liquidity? Um, you know, and to take these things into consideration in the coming years and months? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a really good question. We, we actually did a big study on this, a really big study 
that was part of the book. Uh, and people can go see that study. In fact, it was just updated about a year or less than a year ago. And it's something we call our diversified six month liquid savings program. And so it's, you go to followthemoney.com forward slash DSL. And there it's just, a, it's a big article uh, with all the charts and graphs and everything where you can see. And basically what we did was we did this big back test where if you just put cash in the bank and you know you put six months of your liquid savings in the, ca in the bank uh, for liquidity versus diversifying that savings across a few other things, you can see how it performed. And so there, I would encourage people to check that out because you can see how uh, diversifying even your savings can make a big difference over time. Um, but I would also say, that right now, it, that is a million dollar question. There's a lot of people who are trying to figure out where to put money, you know, right now. Um, it's some of the traditional places that people have been hit. Um, you know, I think bonds right now are clearly uh, becoming more attractive, but they're certainly not, I think, at the place where you're just ready to jump in. Uh, there are some REITs that pay some really good dividends, but again, that's not really liquidity as far as, you know, having cash. That's, I mean, you could certainly keep it liquid, but that's not really what people would think. Uh, stable coins. I think many people were doing that. Some people got burned on that. Um, I think that's, that's an interesting place. I bonds, which are paying pretty high rates of return, at least right now, about 9.6%. Uh, but those are probably going to see that that go down over time. I also like, quite frankly, I like uh, using, you know, uh, index universal life. Many real estate professionals and real estate investors will use a cash value life insurance policy as kind of a bank on yourself strategy. I like that strategy or using even a whole life policy for that purpose. You're talking you get... more about infinite banking here? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Although I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't use that term. I'll, I'm very familiar with the uh, concept of infinite banking, uh, but but I would approach it slightly differently. Uh, but but the point is, is that yeah, that that could be a place where you put cash as well. That's really one of the most powerful things too, especially for those who are listening to this right now, and they say, you know, here I am. I'm in my 60s. I'm taking money out of the market, and now the market's down. You know how much? 20, 30 percent. And now I've got to take my money out of this, you know, or I, I'm going to take money out of it. Well, you know, having another strategy, a liquidity strategy, so you don't have to take that money out is really nice. And, 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 uh, you know, so using some sort of an infinite banking system like that can really be powerful for those people to have another place to draw money from. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's lots of different places you could go. Cash seems safe right now, but obviously when you think about cash, you're sitting, you know, you're sitting with an in, uh, inflation rate that's outrageous. So you're, it's like a, it's like a hole in your pocket. So it, it's a tough question, but I think we provided a few, a few ideas there. And I think one of the hardest things for anybody to pick right now, maybe not even like the things that we could predict is the highest probabilities and possibilities to come to fruition. It's more the timing. Um, I know me personally, I expected a lot of this to play out a lot quicker, um, and it seems to just kind of be like a long, slow burn, kind of like boiling frogs. Um, but also at the same time, kind of seems like that's how it's designed as well. Um, so <clears throat> moving on real quickly here, um, something you talk about is the five levels of financial freedom. I'm all about financial freedom, but you've got five specific levels to talk about there. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, and that's another thing that people can find in the book or also on our website, uh, followthemoney.com forward slash five levels. Uh, and there you'll see that we cover, th this is basically what my wife and I did to break free financially. And I, I heard your story too, Bryce. I, I went back and, you know, I saw, you know, you were, you know, sounded like you were on desperate financial times and, and you, you know, just kind of made it happen, which is pretty amazing. Well, you know, we were, we were probably in a similar situation. I mean, maybe not as dire, but, but it was, you know, certainly a similar situation. And what we do on this five levels of financial freedom is we lay out what we did uh, to break free financially. And it's just line upon line. Uh, we just lay it out. You know, what, what do we do in level one? You know, what, in, how we built a systematic savings plan in level one and built up a certain amount of savings. In level two, we move on to asset income and life protection and make sure that we are building out our moat before we build the castle. Many people will build their financial castle and then they're surprised that robbers come or they're surprised that 
uh, lawsuits come or they're surprised that something happens. And, you know, when you build a castle, it's going to attract things. So it's best to build the moat before you build the castle. That way it's protected somehow. So we, we teach to not put the cart before the horse, so to speak. Uh, and then level three is all about building and diversifying your financial reserves. And then level four is all about building and diversifying your investments. We talked about, you know, investing broadly across various asset classes, trading cash for cash flow when possible, creating multiple streams of income. And then level five is where most people want to start. Uh, most people want to get started by trading stocks, or they want to get started by opening, opening, opening their own business, or they want to get started, you know, say venture capital, you know. Uh, and so anyway, level five there, what we are dealing with is we're dealing with some pretty sexy things. These are the things that people really think when they think about making money, this is what they think of. But we teach people that you can have that, but you really need to build the house properly first. Kind of we talked about the, 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 the castle and the moat. So the five levels of financial freedom is a path that we took uh, and we explain along the way how we did it. Uh, and people can find that on our website or, you know, look at it in the book, but it's all there. And it's really our desire to help people learn how to break free financially, because we've seen what it can do for people. I'm thinking of right now, a lady that we helped, uh, uh, it was, she's actually uh, a, a young lady uh, who lived in Arizona and she was trying to get started with her business and she was doing fairly well, but she wanted, you know, some advice and coaching. And we started coaching her. Next thing you know, she's growing her business with, you know, online and she's uh, buying real estate, kind of like you. She went out and bought her very first piece of real estate and it was a multi-family unit uh, in, in Arizona and she got it. She got a pretty good deal. You know, she's got to be sitting now on if, you know, with that property that she bought originally, that alone has probably made her a millionaire, just that one piece of property with the housing prices we've seen over the last decade. So people can do this. They really can. But like you probably teach often, and as we teach here, you have to put one foot in front of the other. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to do it. Uh, and you've got to make it happen. You got to make it happen, you know. And you can access all of these resources at followthemoney.com. Um, we're going to have links in the show notes below. But again, if you want to refer to anything that we've spoken about in this podcast, go to followthemoney.com and you'll be able to find it there. I mean, Jerry, you've got podcast, you've got coaching, you've got financial tools, you've got um, education on crypto and stock market. I mean, am I missing anything? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but but no, no, I, I doubt it. <laughs> It's, it's very extensive. So go to followthemoney.com. Mate, I know that you and I share a similar viewpoint on macro and economics and maybe even the way that we choose to live as well. And I know you have a little bit of a passion for homesteading and, and living mostly off grid. You want to touch on that for us quickly? Sure. Yeah, I moved out of the city uh, probably it's been about a decade ago. I was living in the middle of a very large town and it was just too much. We really felt like we needed to leave, uh, we, my family and I. So we, we moved out to a rural area, bought a property that had some acreage, had some water sources. Uh, we had two young boys at the time, or one young boy at the time, and we wanted to teach them how to, you know, that food didn't come from grocery stores. We wanted to teach them how to, how to raise food, how to, how to you know, uh, have livestock and whatnot. And they love it. They have lots of room to play. They have friends. They, we homeschool our children. Um, I'm not a big fan of culture of the, of the culture today. I feel like it's very toxic. So we do, we do kind of approach things a little differently with our family, but, uh, yes, we, we are working on getting off of the grid. I have wood stoves for heat. Uh, we're working on solar panels, uh, we have, you know, we have, uh, we have lots of other things, you know, water storage galore. We have water sources here. We have lots of food storage. So, and we talk about all that, by the way, in the five levels of financial freedom and how we do it, you know? Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I'm really a big fan of, you know, not being dependent upon the city. And there's a lot that, you know, that, that, uh, that you can learn by, you know, 
getting away from the city and doing some things on your own. And that's certainly what it's been a learning process for us, but we absolutely love it. It's great to hear that you also uh, are kind of an off the grid kind of guy. That's good to hear because again, part of the bankruptcy of our nation, so to speak, is the ability for the government to kind of hold together the center and uh, not putting your faith, hope, and trust in the government is one of the very best things that you can do early on in your progress towards financial freedom, because it changes your mind and it makes you realize, I really do have to take care of myself. There is no one who's coming to save me, you know? And so taking control, um, not just of your financial life, but even of, you know, like, like you said, uh, where you live and, and even your food production. Well, what happened to me, I'll tell you this real briefly, what happened to me was I was sitting in my house in a gated community in that very big city that I was in, very nice, large house, you know, a gated community. And I was sitting there one day and it just, I don't know what happened, but I, I just had this thought of, you know, what did I produce in this house? I'm look, looking around, you know, I'm sitting in a chair that's probably made in China. I'm looking at a TV screen that was probably made in Taiwan. I go into my kitchen, everything's packaged. Look at, I'm looking for anything desperately in my house. What, you know, what have I made? And I began to realize that what I specialized in was consumption. You know, I, I was a consumption specialist and somebody else was the production specialist. Well, I realized very quickly that production is what I need to stress. I need to be producing, uh, focusing on producing and less focused upon consuming. Uh, and that has been a very important mind shift for me. Well said. And that was highlighted for us a lot when all the lockdowns happened in the beginning of 2020 and we saw supply chain issues. It's like the places that built things and grew things and did things locally got hit less. They got hurt less because they weren't relying on outside sources. And, you know, therein lies the responsibility of us to take certain responsibilities to be able to um, control our own things in our own life, like you said, because our government is likely not going to be able to do it for us. So, um, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed our time together. I've really enjoyed all the value you've provided. I think this topic and these things we've been talking about is so important. So many of us um, just need to do a little bit of research to find out a little bit more of this and take some action. Honestly, a lot of us are like three feet from gold and we don't even know it. So for all of you who want to like find out more information, go to followthemoney.com. For anybody else who wants to continue the conversation, um, how do they do that with you, Jerry? Yeah, they can go to our website, of course. Uh, they can sign up for our newsletter right there where we send out a newsletter occasionally to our, our uh, you know, to the free newsletter list. But they can also click on the plans and pricing. If they want to learn more about what we've been talking about, we have different membership levels where we provide incredible amounts of education, ongoing coaching, as you had mentioned, uh, newsletters every day in your inbox, trading ideas, investing ideas, crypto reports, crypto uh, trend leaders, ETF trend leaders, which currencies you know that we like right now. So much, so much is there. So anything having to do with money, saving, investing, whatever the case might be, uh, go to followthemoney.com. We're happy to help educate. And we've even had many people who get the service and say, I want to buy this for my, you know, for my 20 something year old child or for, for you know, for my college age, per, you know, uh, son or daughter, who is, who is going to be brainwashed by the financial institutions on how to use their money. And I want them to think differently. And so if that's you, you're going to want to help. You're going to want to find out what we have here, follow the money.com. And at the very least they can go there and just listen to our free podcasts and see all of our many free articles and videos. Awesome. And links for this will be in the show notes below Jerry, any final comments? No, just, I want to stress what, uh, what I had said earlier, my, my late step, uh, my, my late stepfather who, uh, who passed away many years ago, his very last email to me has always served as an inspiration before he died. And he ended it with the phrase, make it happen. You know, he believed in me and he said, you can do it. Whatever you're putting your mind to, you can do it. Just make it happen. And those three words have meant a lot to me over the years. And I would say it to the same thing to those who've been maybe challenged by this, this video, you know, you can make it happen. It's in your power. It's not me. It's not, you know, it's not Bryce. It's you, you have the ability to change your future. And I, it's only going to happen if you make it happen. So make it happen. Well said. 
for everybody out there. Take action. So for all of our Freedom Hackers, this is Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And until next week, live large, live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio, and I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio. 